Did you guys have a good week? I mean, I had a crazy week. Did you guys have a good week? We had a snow day. The Canadians are making fun of us. I just want you to know. All of you posted pictures on your Facebook of the three snowflakes and the, the small layer of ice on your windshield. The Canadians were laughing. I talked to some Canadians this week, and they were going like, what is wrong with you guys? I said, yeah, I'll put you down here for a month in summer, and you'll melt like a snowflake. That's what'll happen. We're Texas tough. We just like looking for an excuse to sit by the fire and drink hot chocolate. While you guys were all hunkered down in your homes, brave Pastor Scott got in his truck and drove to, to work. There wasn't no work to be done, but I drove up here and sat in my office. I think Tara needed a mental health break, so I just left home. But I had a crazy week, and the fact that I got to pray at the city council meeting, and our city council will never be the same, guarantee. <laughs> then last, uh, last night, our, uh, our, our volunteer fire department and, and some of the first responders had a banquet uh, last night, and so I, I got out, I went out there and I got to sing. Uh, I sang the Star Spangled Banner, then I sang Amazing Grace, and they said they wanted me to sing more, but people would rather hear me sing than eat. They've heard me eat. <laughs> Tell, that was really funny. That was just, no, no, okay, no, 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 it wasn't. Okay, all right, I'm sorry. That was Canadian sorry. I'm really not sorry, but I'm telling you that to make you feel better about yourself. But uh, it was really cool. They said they wanted me to sing more, but I said that was going to cost them money. If I stayed, I am a preacher, I'd have to take up an offering, right? But it was just a kind of a neat week. Tara and I are very grateful to live here in Wimberley. We're, uh, we're in our second month of living here and being involved in the community and getting connected uh, back into a small town environment. It's kind of neat. And so we're, we're enjoying it. Wimberley is uh, just a diamond in the heart of the hill country, just a little bit of place of paradise. So we're, we're glad to be here. But this week, you know, I, I, I'm talking on this topic that I really don't enjoy. How do you find hope when you're disappointed? Now, I would say this, that this talk is for everybody in the room. There's nobody in this room that's going to be like, well, that was real good, but that wasn't for me. No, it's for everybody in the room. In fact, I want to say this is for me, and you're getting the leftovers. Now, the leftovers are like Tara's green chili enchiladas that sit in the refrigerator, just get better over time. They call to me, fat boy, I'm in here, come eat me. But uh, you're going to get leftovers today because I really, when I wrote this talk this on Tuesday, when you were going to hunker down, I was in my study writing this, that I just realized that I really need hope from being disappointed. Jesus said this, I've said these things to you that in me, you might have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation or a better word for tribulation is trouble or trials. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That there's nothing in this world, this world can serve up to you that our God cannot take you through. And in the process of taking you through, he's refining you. He's literally, as we talked about last week, sifting you. And he's using trials and tribulation. In this world, you're gonna be disappointed. You will have trouble. And trouble breeds disappointment. People will disappoint you. Circumstances will disappoint you. Your decisions will disappoint you. You might even feel like God has disappointed you. And I want to say that to you. If, you. if you're one of those ones in this room that says, I think God has let me down. God will accept that emotion. It's just not true. 
but he'll accept that emotion. I was talking to a, a guy yesterday, he's not a believer, and uh, we're talking about people believing stuff. And, and he's, I said, how many years did the pe- people believe the world was flat? That didn't make it true just because they believed it, right? In fact, it was ignorant to believe the world is flat. And I would dare say to you that if you believe that God is not the God sovereign Lord who will carry you through your troubles, that you're just ignorant. I say that loving, but the truth is God says I've overcome the world and he has. But how do we deal with disappointment? I have discovered the biggest source of my disappointment is me. I am the problem. I made a list of my troubles. I'm entitled. I want what I want when I want it. Don't you dare sit in my pew. Don't you? You better, Jonathan, you better sing that song I want to sing. Why didn't you sing Shout to the Lord this morning? Please don't ever sing that song. I I mean, I'm just entitled. Don't you park in my place. Don't you dare put onions in my salad and, and guacamole is of the devil. I'm entitled. I'm arrogant. I'll let you know how arrogant I am. Now I'm going to disguise it in my amazing humility, but I'm really, I'm arrogant. I'm full of pride. Did you know that pride made the devil the devil? Now y'all are all, all sitting out there. Well, I'm glad he's finally got some self-realization up there. <laughs> right back at you, Jack. I can take a mirror and hold it up to you. We all struggle. Maybe not in the extreme, but we struggle. Is there hope in face of my woeful being and my discouragement and my disappointment? Is there hope? And absolutely yes. Now, anybody in the Old Testament had a right to be dis- disappointed was Job. And this week, we're going to be talking about Job in our group material. I hope you're taking advantage of our online resources, the devotional, the five-day-a-week devotional we provided, and then uh, the, the group videos we provided. And uh, our group, they're having a lot of fun. It's so creepy to go to group and watch yourself on video. It is so, especially when the video is not syncing, it looks like a Japanese movie. <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's okay. But I hope you're taking advantage of those things. And, and, and dealing with the book of Job, we're talking about it this week, with the guy Job, I don't like that book in the Bible. Are anybody else like that? I mean, I read through the Bible systematically. I started Genesis and I read all the way through Revelation. Then I start back. And uh, I'm, I actually, I'm in Jeremiah right now. And, and I, I read the book. Of, I, when I get to the book of Job, I go, oh. And I just grind through it. I don't like it. Because he deals with so much disappointment and so much discouragement. And it's like, oh. And he said, well, Pastor Scott, at the end of the book, it turns out okay. You know, he gets back everything he lost. Really? He, all his kids? He doesn't get those kids back. He gets different kids. You know, to get those kids back. Well, he gets restored all his monetary stuff. Really? But Job said this. I've heard about you, God. Now, now I've experienced you. I, I, I heard about you. Now I see you face to face and everything's changed about you. And even though I don't like Job, I need to learn the lessons of Job. Job said this. But man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. In other words, when you build a fire out in your fire pit, you've been wimberly whimsical, sitting around it, singing kumbaya and eating s'mores. 
that the sparks go up, trouble is just as certain as the sparks going up. In this world, you will have trouble. But I want you to have peace. I've overcome the world. You see, God knows the realities of this world because he lived in this world. He created this world. He knows the realities of my sinful nature. When I I make this public declaration about my entitlement, my arrogance, and my pride, God's not going, really? Wow. Angels, did you hear that? He was about like y'all. Uh-huh. That's about right. Tell the truth now. See, God knows who I am. He knows who you are. And it seems the older I get, the more disappointment life serves up. Hmm. As a young preacher, and I've talked, I've preached on this subject a lot of times, and in fact, I, I was tempted to just kind of reach back and grab an oldie but goldie. But I got in the kitchen with Jesus, and we cooked up something fresh this week for y'all. As a young preacher, I would say, life's hard, gets harder, suck it up, buttercup. But I'm in a place in my life where suck it up, buttercup ain't working. It's not working. I need some, I need some answers. I don't need no sermon. I need some reasoning here. I need some help. I need Jesus to, to help me. This world has let me down. I have let me down. My relationships have let me down. I need hope. I need hope. To quote James Taylor, the great theologian, in his song, I've Seen Fire and I've Seen Rain, he says, my body's aching and my time is at hand. Hmm. And I believe God can give me his hope and share with me his hope. But I need to listen today. So let's look at this morning. Let's look at what James, the half-brother of Jesus, had to say about this subject of disappointment and trials and tribulations and maybe find the hope we need. Y'all ready for this? That's that's more than six, so we're good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning, and I pray that you will speak through me. You'll customize this talk to those that are in this room, and I pray, oh God, that we will not leave here just of experiencing some kind of pontification, but we'll leave here today with revelation that leads us to life change. Thank you for how faithful you are, and I pray all of this in your strong name. Amen. I invite you to take your notes out, take, your, take the weekend with you notes out, and, uh, and jot down some notes, because I think we're going to say some things that are really going to be helpful. But before we get in this, I need to tell you about James. James was the half-brother of Jesus. Now, some of y'all grew up in another denomination where they teach that Jesus, that Mary remained a virgin all her life. Uh, that's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. In um, Matthew chapter 13, verses 50, verse 55, it gives a list of Jesus' brothers. And also Jesus had a sister. Also in Luke 6, the list of Jesus' siblings is made available to us. So here's a great trivial, trivial question. Can you name Jesus' brothers? His half-brothers, of course. They didn't have the same daddy, y'all. Just so you know. Did anybody name them? They were James, Joseph, Simon, Judah, Judas, excuse me, Judas, not Hiscariot. It wasn't the guy that betrayed him. Even though I wouldn't put it past a brother to betray you, ask Joseph, his brother sold him into slavery. You talk about a dysfunctional family. That was a dysfunctional family. They were from East Texas, way East <laughs> Texas. 
way over yonder, East Texas. Sorry, y'all. He also had a sister, maybe two sisters. So obviously, Mary and Joseph had other children. James became a believer after the resurrection, not before the resurrection. In fact, he was suspicious of Jesus, questioning Jesus' sanity while Jesus was alive. Why was his brother suspicious? Because he was his dead gum brother. That's just the way it works. I've got a brother. I'm suspicious. I got two brothers. I'm suspicious of both of them. One of them's got more th- you know, degrees of thermometer, and the other one is this Hebrew scholar. I'm suspicious of them. I love them. I guarantee they ain't Messiah. Now, if they rose from the dead gum grave, I would believe them. And that's what it took for James. When Jesus was resurrected, James went, oh, that explains a lot. That explains when we played baseball, he could hit a curveball because he knew it was coming. That's right, yeah. Hmm. James was martyred in 62 AD, according to the Roman historian Josephus, an extra-biblical account. And he wrote his epistle to to stress that faith in Christ was not just merely believing the facts about Jesus, but believing the facts about Jesus that led to a life transformed in obedience to Jesus. Now, any of y'all grew up Lutheran? Any Lutherans in the house? Any few? Okay, few Lutherans. Martin Luther, who's the founder of Lutheran Church, just name, similar, got it. Um, He didn't like the book of James. In fact, he didn't want it to be in the Bible because he said it would taught salvation by works. And that's really not James was saying. James, James was saying in his, his epistle that because you've been saved, you produce a life of obedience. It's an evidence of you believing. And I think that makes good sense. And he was stating that salvation produces a righteous life of obedience. So that's who James was. And James wrote all of this epistle to say this to you today. Your life matters. Your decisions matter. Your choices matter. The circumstances and situations and trials of your life, they matter. Nothing is wasted. You see, God loves you enough to forgive you of your sins and to be your savior through Jesus Christ. And he also loves you enough to connect you into his family called the church. God does not want you to be a spiritual orphan. He wants you to be connected in a church family. That's what he wants. God also loves you enough to grow you to become like Christ. God also loves you enough so you can uh, serve him by serving others. God loves you enough that you can contagiously share his love in word and deed to everyone around you. Uh, This week, today actually, we have a group of people from California coming to Victoria to work in our our, uh, Harvey Relief House that we have down there. And they're going to be here a week. And why are you going to do that? Because God loves them enough so they can serve him by serving others. And they can contagiously share the love of God in word and deed. So your life matters. All of this is a life built by God. It's what we teach. This, my friends, is a disciple. Not someone that meets one-on-one with somebody and memorizes scripture, even though that's great. It's someone who's connected, growing, serving, and sharing. Now, you probably need to meet with two or three people and share life together so that you will be a discipled. But that's not discipleship. Discipleship is living all for Jesus. Are y'all with me? Several years ago, a guy named Avery Willis wrote a curriculum called Master Life. Anybody old enough to remember Master Life? I know this, Jonathan. They ain't old enough to remember the doxology. I know that. (laughs) It's just, they know what? 
that was that praise God song. Y'all didn't know. Avery Willis talked about the life cycle of a believer. Now get this. He said that when we're, before we're saved, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And that's true. The Bible says that. Then when Christ comes into our heart, we're literally born again. That's what the Bible says. And then you become a spiritual infant. And infants need lots of attention, don't they? Lots of attention. Any of you that have had babies know that babies need attention. Any of you that had multiple babies at one time know they need lots of attention, right? Okay. I say this, parenting a teenager and parenting a two-year-old, parenting a two-year-old are very similar. You better watch them and smell them upon occasion. <laughs> Just different scents you're looking for, okay? <clears throat> y'all remember that. Sorry, y'all. You smell good this morning, by the way. Okay. So, and then you're an infant, then you become a child, a child in Christ. Now listen to me. Childhood is marked by selfishness. I want what I want when I want it. Don't you sit in my pew, sing my song, all that selfishness. We better eat at Chick-fil-A or McDonald's because I want chicken nuggets, I want them now. Right? And it's marked by selfishness. And a Christian who does not move out of childhood is a pain to everyone around them. Can I get an amen? What happens, y'all, is so many of us sit in spiritual childhood and we want to mark our maturity by how many Beth Moore studies we've done and not how much transformation we've had in our life with our behavior and our attitude. Ooh, going to preach it now. And then you move into spiritual adolescence where you're discovering who you are and what on earth God has put you here for. And then you move into adulthood where you're reproducing other believers. You're parenting other Christians. You become a disciple maker. I love that. The cycle of life. And I know that so many times as a pastor, I don't tell you and you get stuck in spiritual childhood. But that's not what God wants. This is what God wants. He says, how great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God, and that's what we really are. But we don't stay children, we move up to be adults. And are you a mature Christian? Are you driven by your preference or are you driven by your Savior? Now, I don't know about you, but I have a tendency as an adult Christian to fall back into childish behavior upon time to time. Do you do the same thing? And I need to get over myself. And how does God get me over myself? He uses difficulties in my life to refine my character. And he leverages disappointments so I can be more like him. So how do I deal with disappointments? I allow God to work in the deep places of my life through adversity. Let me read for you what James had to say. This is James chapter one, verses two through eight. If you have a Bible, you follow along or it's up on the screen. Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The word various there really means variegated. Different colors, different textures, variegated. <clears throat> For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now I'm going to go back. The word know there is gnosos. That means a deep understanding, an intimate knowledge. I know this. And you need to know that. It's not just kind of, I kind of know that. It's that I really know this. That the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And the word there better for steadfastness is patience. 
produces patience. And let patience or steadfastness have its full effect. What is its full effect? That you will be mature. That you'll be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if you, if you lack wisdom, ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it'll be given to him. But let him ask in faith, not doubting, for the one who doubts is like the waves of the sea that are driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Wow. So with that read, there's some things that I want you to seize or hold on to. That my attitude, what I think really matters. As a man thinks in his heart, so he really is. In scripture, you find this formula throughout scripture. My attitude produces my character, produces my behavior. What I think produces who I am, produces what I do. Now, the only thing I can see is what you do. I can't see your attitude. Oh, but I can by what you do. I can't reveal your character. Oh, but I can by what you do. I had someone got just so offended with me the other day. He said, are you questioning my character? I said, yeah. Because what you do is showing me your character and what I see you doing is not in line with the character you say you have. It didn't go so well, but anyway. That's true. And you see that process that what you do produces who you are. So I have to do this. I have to change the conversation in my heart for why God are you doing this to me? To what God do you want to do in me? Why, God, are you doing this? To what, God, are you doing? After the last service, I had a guy come to me. He said, Pastor, I want to tell you, I'm, I'm starting my cancer treatments. And I've stopped asking why, and I've stopped asking what. And I said, God, use me, use me in this season. That, my friend, is mature. That's growing up. James said, count it all joy. Consider it or count it. My brothers, not when, but not if, but when you meet trials of various kinds, variegated, different kinds of trials. I heard a pastor say one time, you're either going through a trial, coming out of a trial, or going into a trial. Wow. Either coming out of one, going into one, Coming out of one, it's like, wow. I just like a little peace, wouldn't y'all? Do you ever find yourself praying, God, would you just like in this season, like give me a month off? But God loves me so much, he's working in my life. So I have to change the why, from the why to God to the what of God. For you know the testing of your faith produces endurance or steadfastness or perfection or patience. The knowledge of various trials and their coming should prepare our attitude. We should not be surprised. I didn't say this in the first service, but I'll say it in this service. That when I was younger and planting churches and, and renovating churches, I, I kind of joke, I think Tara and I are the Chip and Joanna Gaines of church life. We're the fixer-uppers. Renovating churches. And when I would encounter resistance or trials or trouble, I'd get excited. I said, whoo, here we go. God's up to something. Got the brothers stirred up. 
but man, I just get tired of it. The same old stuff. Y'all ever get like that? Tired of it. So God, can't you just either like change their minds or take them to heaven? Can you just do something? (laughs) You know, let them go to another church. But that's not the right attitude because I realized that that trial, God wants to work through me. So I want you to write this down. Your outlook will determine your outcome. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is, Jesus said. Your outlook will determine your outcome. So I need to shift back to that. Woo, here we go. Instead of, oh, here we go. Because I need to have joy in my life. Do you have joy in your life? Do you need joy in your life? So I've got to shift in the way I think and the way I perceive. Perception becomes reality. And I need to see the reality of reality that Jesus is Lord. So joy or my outlook can be determined by the sovereignty of God and the love of God for me, not my circumstances and not my disappointments. When I rest in his sovereignty, that God is Lord of all, and I realize his love, that God loves me with the love that will not let me go, that I could change my outlook. Next Thursday, <clears throat> Tara and I are going to Alabama and I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna be doing the next uh, series of group studies, videos, group studies. Tara's going to, uh, to learn about organizing a, uh, a 5K run. Tara's doing that and I'm not doing that. You know why? Because if you see me running, something bad is happening. <laughs> just say, get out in front of me. Doesn't matter. Don't ask, just get out front. Look back and say, what's going on? Because the bear will eat me before he eats you, y'all, okay? And so we're going to go, and, and I'm going to be talking in this next group series. The first talk is going to be about the love of God out of Romans 8. And I want you guys to know about it. Because love, the love of God is, is, is unbelievable and complete. And I want you to know about it. And so when I know about the love of God, then I know he loves me. And he's desiring the best for me. And I know all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes that he might, might, be, that he might make me by, like Christ. And so I got his sovereignty and I got his love that my, I could choose joy, but this is so hard because I like to whine and bellyache and complain. Am I by myself? This is an honest part of the room. Y'all are asleep or something. <laughs> So my faith's going to be tested. And this is why God tests my faith. I want you to write these things down. Write them quick because I'm going to go over them quick. See, God, first thing, God wants me to know my heart. He wants me to know my heart. He knows my heart. I am self-delusional. God wants me to know what's in my heart. There's a passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 31. When God left him, Hezekiah, to himself in order to test him and allow and test him and to know what was in his heart. God knew what was in Hezekiah's heart. Hezekiah didn't know what was in his heart until God took his hand off of him and he said, find out what's inside you, boy. In 2009, in the darkest days of my life, I read that passage and I felt the Holy Spirit said, son, I've taken my hand off you so you can see what's really in your heart. And I cried. And about two months later, God said, 
I got my hand back on you. And he hasn't taken it off since. And I don't mean I've been perfect since. I mean, if you look up stupid in the dictionary, you'll see my picture right there. But God's hand off my life so I could see what was in my heart. And what I found out in that season was not pretty. Not pretty. God wants me to be humble. He wants you to be humble. Humility is not servant, subservient or lowly. Biblical humility is humilitas. It means setting aside your rights and privileges for the good of others. Setting aside my rights and privileges for the good of others. God wants me dependent. Dependent upon him. Not dependent upon me. God will orchestrate circumstances that he is my only option. God wants to give me heavenly hope that I'll be more in love with heaven than I am this world. Did you hear about the two old people that died and they got to heaven and the old man looked at the old woman and he said, dead gum, you woman, had we not eaten those bran muffins, we could have been here 10 years ago. (laughs) Daniel fast, we could be in heaven, eating pulled pork, but no, we're eating roots and leaves, nuts. Digging up the front yard. Heavenly hope. God wants to reveal to you what you truly love. What do you truly love? God wants you to value his blessings. God wants to develop your soul. Cares about your soul. And then finally, God wants you to serve others because of what you've gone through. So allow God to do what God does. Allow him to take you through trials and don't be overwhelmed with disappointment. Find hope that God is working. He loves you enough to put you through the fire. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Steadfastness, as I said earlier, is really patience. Now, I wrote this and I'll project this on the screen so you get these next couple of things because I want you to really get them because we really misunderstand what perfection is. Our patience is. We, under, we misunderstand what patience is. We think patience is sitting in Austin traffic on Highway 35 while they're doing yet another construction project and not screaming and pounding on our steering wheel. No, that's called being not crazy. Yeah. Patience is this. It's not passive endurance, but courage to face difficulties and suffering. When I looked up the word discouragement this week, it literally means to be drained of courage. And patience is to have the courage. Patience is a gift from God through the fires of adversity. The only way God can build your patience in your life, the only way God can build patience in your life is through trials or adversity. It's the only way. And patience is the key to every other blessing in God, except for salvation. Do you want to have God supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory? Better get some patience. That's courage to face disappointment, suffering. 
Do I don't want to do all things through Christ and strengthens me? Yep, better get some patience. It's courage, face difficulties, suffering. Um, do, I, do I have peace that passes all understanding? Yep, better get some patience. Everything but heaven, blessings of God, is learned through the fires of adversity, finding patience. I wish it wasn't that way. But Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. You see, God will not, and I wrote this specifically, I'm gonna read this, and I apologize for reading it, but I want, I want you to, to get these words that I've written. I want you to get them. God will not work through us until he has worked in us. And he will not work in us until we're surrendered to him. So you have to allow God to do what God wants to do. You see, God's a gentleman. He's not gonna force himself on you. And he's gonna say, if you'll let me, I'll make you into a great man or great woman, if you let me. But if you fight me, I'm gonna bring some more adversity because I want you to get to a place where I am enough. I am enough. You could turn away from God in disappointment or you could turn toward him in surrender. You choose. And when you turn toward him in surrender, you will find hope. Once you look at this process, God works for you in salvation. He's for you, so he saves you. Takes you from being a child of the devil to be a child of God. He takes you from being dead in your trespasses and sins to be alive in Christ. He takes you from your eternal destiny of hell to your eternal destiny of heaven. He does that for you by faith in Christ. That he works in you for sanctification. That's a fancy word that making you like Jesus. So he works in you. That's an Amber Alert in case anybody wants to know. Everybody's phone's going off. Mine too, okay, all right. And then he works through you for ministry. Through you for ministry. I have so often seen believers lock themselves in the isolation of the prison of pride and discouragement and fail to live in the openness of community, thus leveraging their trials for ministry to others. God never wastes a hurt. You've heard me say it ad nauseum. Your mess becomes your message. Your misery becomes your ministry. God uses a man greatly after he's been wounded deeply. And there's so much untapped ministry in this room because we've not leveraged our misery. And we've let pride lock us away. You see, God's test brings out our faith. Satan's temptation brings on our failures. In trials, we discover to depend upon God. In temptation, we discover to run to God. The full effect of patience is hope and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let it have its full effect. I'll find hope and joy in the Holy Spirit. So what do you do? Ask God to help you. Ask him this morning, ask him, God, I'm in this middle of discouragement. I'm disappointed and got these trials and tribulations. I've, I've let you down. Others have let me down. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I, you've let me down. 
I need you to help me. God says, all right, I'll help you. <clears throat> this is what James says. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. That means he's not going to judge your motives. John said, I'm going to give you wisdom. You'll waste it. No, he says, I'm going to give you wisdom because you won't waste it. Because the wisdom I give to you is going to supersede your stupidity. And let him ask in faith, no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the waves of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So I need to learn to ask God, give me the wisdom to learn what you want me to learn so I don't have to go through this again. There's the law of the repeat. That if you're facing the same trial or tribulation or struggle over and over and over, it's because you haven't learned a lesson yet. Y'all, when I did my undergrad in voice performance, <clears throat> I had to take French, Italian, and German, foreign languages. Uh, I had to pick one as a major language and the other uh, two, I had to just kind of do 10 hours of diction. <clears throat> we were on the quarter system, so I had to have 28 hours of French and then 10 hours of Italian and German. Uh, I chose French as the primary language. I failed French twice. Not once, but twice. My dad said, boy, are you stupid? I said, I'm stupid in French. I cannot polyvoo the Francais. If you dropped me in France today, I'd starve to death and make myself appear more ignorant than I truly am, which is a hard thing to do. But somehow through perseverance, I finally passed it. I think by the, just the mercy of the professor. They're tired of seeing me. Now, my son, Caleb, he's fluid in French, verbal and written, fluid in Creole, verbal and written, verbal in, uh, fluid in Spanish, verbal, and then picks up languages like that. Drives me crazy. <laughs> when he was a little bitty, I used to sing French songs to him while I rocked him to sleep, and Italian songs and German songs, and some in Latin. But he has this propensity for language. I did not. So I had to keep repeating it. Do you find yourself facing the same thing over and over and over? Some of you, your trial is money. Go to Financial Peace this week. Sign up. Don't let stupid run your life. Figure it out. And then leverage this for God's glory. Now, James says something here that troubles me. He says that you don't doubt because that person, he won't receive anything from God. He's double-minded and unstable as all his ways. I, I mean, I suffer from being double-minded then because a lot of times I ask God to help me and I don't think he's going to. Am I by myself? I need, I need to be like the, the centurion that says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And you know what? That's an honest prayer. Jesus says, okay, I'll help you. And he gives us his wisdom without judging us. But I got to believe he's going to do it. You see, Satan loves to use doubt and disappointment as a double-edged sword to bring discouragement in our life to make us ineffective. And God gives you wisdom so you can trust him and you can be used by him to be a blessing to other people. Wow. Instability and immaturity go hand in hand. God wants me to grow up Grow up and have a stable mind 
and not a double mind. I need Jesus. I need his wisdom. I need his hope. And heaven says, okay, you got it. Now live in it. He says that to you. I've said these things to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I've overcome the world. You see, I've seen fire and I've seen rain. I've seen lonely days that I thought would never end. Seen lonely times when I could not find a friend. But I always knew that Jesus would rescue me in the end. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for how good you are. And Father, in the middle of our doubt and discouragement and disappointment, let us find our hope in you and you alone. Folks, with your heads bowed, maybe today you need to ask Jesus for wisdom and you need to ask him believing. You're going through a circumstance, a situation, a trial that you just, you need help. Maybe you're facing a temptation. You need help. Ask Jesus right now for wisdom. He will give it to you and take it. The illumination, the lighting of your mind. Now, after you take his wisdom, you might think it's your idea. It's not. It's his idea. It's his solution. He'll use your thinking, your thoughts, your voice in your head. That sounds like your voice, but not your character. And he'll give you wisdom. And then ask God for a ministry out of your misery. For a message out of your mess. And then give your life to him. And find hope and disappointment. Maybe this morning you know you need to give your life to Jesus. You've never done this. And your heart is beating fast and you feel that voice in your head saying, you need to do this. This is the Holy Spirit. It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. Why don't you pray with me right now this prayer? Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus, I'm yours. I give my life to you. Thank you for dying for me. I want to live for you. Jesus, I'm yours. You prayed that with me that Jesus has just done what you ask. By faith, you've been saved by grace. Welcome to the family. Father, I pray we will not leave here the same, but we'll be changed by you. I pray this in your strong name. Amen.